But you'll be stranded, Lois exclaimed. Radio contact ceased, and Superman sent the ship to its destination. Lois's words hang in the air for an eternity. With my powers fading, she's right. For now, this desolate rock is home. Might as well give this transport a going over to see if I can determine what happened. Those people were trying to get away from someone, or some thing. Interesting. Some kind of crab. Dead now. Maybe this was the thing that was trying to claw its way into the city. Unfortunately, no way to know now. Even though this entire rock has a delicate atmosphere, the city itself probably has a more delicate one. I don't want to upset it by crashing my way in. The indirect approach seems more practical. I'll tunnel my way right under the barrier, and into the middle of the city. A cavern. What is all this? Some kind of strange rock formations. Systematic in organization, yet organic in appearance. Seems weird, unsettling, creepy. More and more, this place seems to reek of death. What's this? Some kind of viscous substance. Whoa. It burns. Like an acid. Superman turned at the sound of a loud hiss. From the darkness, the hideous creature made its move, leaping onto him and grabbing his wrist before he could make a defensive blow. It clawed and snapped and drooled with demonic fury. What the hell are you? He shouted. No answer. But ugly moves incredibly fast. We end up in the dirt. No matter, though. Looks fairly harmless. I'll clear some room and try to reason with him. It. Wait. I know you've never seen me before, but I'm no threat. I'm here looking for other beings who look like me. Coming after me anyway, huh? I guess you didn't understand what I said. For all I know, you aren't even intelligent. The beast struck a clawed hand across Superman's chest. He screamed out in pain. You... Cut me! He pushed the creature away. Get off! He yelled. Didn't want to resort to punching out a life form that's probably just trying to protect its territory from a stranger, but if it won't listen to reason, it's going down. Superman struck his assailant with all his force. It let out a piercing screech and fell backwards, seemingly knocked out cold. That takes care of that. Didn't expect anything like that thing. It sure didn't look Kryptonian. What's going on here? A fierce hiss echoed from behind him and the alien's tail wrapped around his neck. What the? Superman escaped the grasp and faced the creature head on. You should have quit while you had the chance. He grabbed the lower part of its jaw. I can keep your jaws propped open until... Until... He observed in shock the second set of jaws from within. The pharyngeal fangs struck out, landing to gash into Superman's forehead. Such force would have easily killed any other prey, but Superman's powers, though limited, prevented an otherwise ghastly death. The strike was still painful, and enough to leave the Man of Steel bleeding and screaming. The creature's jaws were badly damaged upon impact, leaving an ominous mix of the alien's blood and his own pouring down his forehead. Base feels like I went a couple more rounds with Doomsday. Time to take off the gloves. 
try to cut him, wound him enough to slow him down. Superman struck, and more of the alien blood poured upon him. My eyes! Blood! It's like some kind of acid. Dazed and in blinding pain, Superman moved back, but the alien, angrier and more ferocious than ever before, advanced. Although edited for television, tonight's thriller contains scenes of suspense and violence which may be unsuitable for young viewers. Parental discretion is advised. The May 1995 cover dated Dark Horse Insider number 41 features Superman vs. Aliens cover. Other notable titles this month include the Virus Trade Paperback Collection, which was eventually turned into a movie, Visions, The Art of Arthur Sidem, Resolicitation, this is for the Deluxe Paperback Edition, Aliens vs. Predator, Deadliest of the Species, Penultimate Issue number 11, Aliens vs. Predator War number 1, the second edition Godzilla Trade Paperback, as well as Godzilla number 0, Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan, Atela Mugambi one shot, Star Wars River of Chaos number one. Given that the creative team was Louise Simonson and June Brigman, I don't know if that's original material or a Marvel reprint. The sixth and final issue of Star Wars Dark Empire number two, the Mecha Special featuring the Dark Horse Comics Greatest World Hero, Gunsmith Cats number one of ten, the start of a series of Japanese reprints of the popular Kenichi Sonata manga series. But most importantly for our purposes, we have a conversation with Dan Jurgens by Bruce G. Costa. Early on in his career, Dan Jurgens received encouragement from Walter Simonson and referrals from Mike Grell, and deservedly so. Dan's soon had work on the Warlord at DC, which led to many more contributions in the form of Booster Gold, a maxi-series called Sun Devils, Justice League America, Flash Gordon, Green Arrow, and Zero Hour. Of course, for nearly eight years now, Dan has been best known for his work on Superman. He is among the most qualified people in the industry to determine how the Man of Steel might handle a confrontation with the Silver Screen's greatest monsters from space. I spoke with him in mid-January, when he was about halfway through working on the new crossover series. Bruce Costa. There were rumors of a new Superman vs. Aliens project in the wind. Dan Jones. Ah, uh, not just rumors. It is one of the few rumors that may actually be true these days. Yes, coming out in May will be the first issue of Superman vs. Aliens, which will be in the same format as Superman Doomsday. It's a three-issue miniseries, each issue being 48 pages square-bound. I'm writing and penciling the series with gorgeous drop-dead inks by the incredibly talented Kevin Nolan and colors by one of the absolute best colorists in the business, Greg Wright. What we've done is take the concept of a city that was launched into space intact when its planet blew up nearly 55 years ago or so. The city's name is Ark and it has sent out a number of distressed buoys because its natural resources are running out. One of those distressed buoys arrives on Earth. When Superman finds it, he realizes that its radio signals are being broadcast in Kryptonian. He knows right away that he has to go out and save these people. He goes into space where he finds a city that's been run down. The social order has been lost and most of the citizens are dead because not only did their resources, their food, and their structure disappear, but they've also been infested by these nasty, almost insect-like alien creatures that are totally unstoppable. In order to save them and one 15 year old girl named Kara, Superman has to take on the aliens. Unfortunately, during the war, Superman accidentally sends the aliens back to Earth. So the primary story actually takes place in two different places. One is in the city of Argo, floating far out in space. The other is on an orbiting space station that belongs to LexCorp. That's where Lois Lane is, covering the story, and that's where the aliens that Superman send back first show up. This is pretty much the setup in the story for Superman vs. Aliens. Bruce Costa, what are some of the issues that confronted you with such an unusual mix of culture icons? Dan Jurgens. We have some of the classic features of the Aliens films. One of the most fun things to draw has certainly been the chestburster stuff. I mean, if, as an artist, you can't get off on doing that, then there's something wrong with you. Seriously, one of the challenges of doing this project is that people don't expect Superman comics in general to be overly violent with lots of detailed blood and gore. Because we don't want to push it over the edge that way, or at least I didn't, I wanted the product to be available to all audiences. I had to find a way to depict the chestburster or the Aliens themselves and their violence without making it gratuitously gory. That required its own special 
partial solution. The idea is that some of what you do had to be hinted at, almost the way Alfred Hitchcock handled Janet Lee getting stabbed to death in the shower. There are creative ways to handle this, where it's not necessarily centered on screen with the blood flying off the page into the reader's eyes. But I don't want it to make it sound as if we're ducking the issue here. Bruce Costa, do you hope to access new audiences with this crossover? Dan Jurgens, I hope so. Everyone talks about breaking outside of the normal comic book audience and getting general audiences somehow to pick something up. This is one of those projects that might do that. Certainly there are people out there who are familiar with the Aliens mythos and because of the packaging and I hope the integrity of the project, they might take a chance on this where they normally wouldn't pick up a comic. I don't know, that's a hope. Like I said, it's going to look a little bit different. Bruce Costa, how do you feel this compares to your other Superman work? Did you have any goals that were different? Dan Jorgens, very much so. This project originally came together several years ago when DC Group editor Mike Carlin, Dark Horse publisher Mike Richardson, DC sales director Bob Wayne, and myself were all doing a convention down in Sydney, Australia. We knew even then that, and this goes back to the before the death of Superman craze, we wanted a project that was a very different feel than a typical Superman story. We wanted it to be something darker. To put it in film terms, if you look at the Aliens movies, there's a lack of bright color in the art direction. We wanted something like that for this book. That doesn't mean that the character of Superman has to be any darker, but the tone of the book has to be a little different. We are very consciously trying to set that up, and that does make it different than the normal ongoing Superman series. I think the allure of this project for me, as a creator, is in a couple of things. One, it is necessary to try to do some different things sometimes, and for me, this is a bit of a stretch. I'm trying to approach the art differently, I'm trying to approach the writing differently, to try to reflect the mood that we just spoke about. At the same time, a couple of things come up, of which the most immediate question might be, what kind of threat are the aliens to Superman? I mean, they walk right up to try to bite him and bang, their teeth break off. My solution to this is that Argo is so far from any sun, Superman now operates as a solar battery, that by the time he journeys there, his body has pretty much lost its reserve. So as the story goes on, Superman becomes more and more normal, which means he is then confronted with an additional problem. Does he pick up a flamethrower and start killing aliens right and left by the hundreds? This is also the story then of Superman's confrontation within himself. Should he kill or not? Some years ago, John Byrne did a story where Superman killed three Phantom Zone criminals. That's where he developed his code against killing. And to Superman, this is not really any different. So that's part of the story as well. Are these creatures that he automatically annihilates or does he try to do this in some other way? That's some of the character subtext to the story, not to mention his relationship to young Kara. Bruce Costa. Did you alter your art or writing style to accommodate this unusual Superman story? Dan Jurgens. I don't think that alteration is quite the right word. What I tried to do was push myself in a bit of a different direction to make the writing style fit the mood of what the aliens are, to make the art style fit the mood of what the aliens are, and then bring in the kind of creators who can augment that. Kevin Nolan, as an inker, brings a very special sensibility to this project that I think is just perfect for Superman versus aliens. He does creepy real good. Kevin knows how to do slime and grit and texture, and Greg Wright understands color theory so well that he will certainly bring the idea of the movies and the art direction therein to this project as well, because we don't want it to look and read like a typical Superman comic book. Although the character of Superman will be consistent with anything I've done before. Bruce Costa. Is there anything that you'd like to add on any of these subjects? Dan Jerkins. Just that with regard to this particular project, it's been a lot of fun for me because it is, from a discipline standpoint, different from what I've normally done. It has made me rethink a lot of things. I've tried to stretch a little bit to deal with these greedy little aliens and to do a story that exists more in the shadows and the gloom. I hope people enjoy it. Solicitation copy reads, he came to Earth in a rocket, a strange visitor from another planet. Now, years later, signals from space could be the beginning of a trail to his home planet Krypton. Can anything stop a man of steel from discovering his long lost heritage? Can anything stand between a Superman and that which he longs for most? How about the most feared and deadly species in the galaxy? The solicitation copy continues. In the tradition of the acclaimed best-selling Batman vs. Predator matchups, DC Comics and Dark Horse Comics proudly presents Superman vs. Alien. 
Aliens, a three-issue miniseries pitting the Man of Steel against an alien infestation among the ruins of a decimated planet. Crafted by longtime Superman writer-artist Dan Jurgens and inked by Aliens artist Kevin Nolan, the series promises to be the best of both worlds. Superman executive editor Mike Carlin says, I've enjoyed the Aliens movies. I've enjoyed the Alien comics. Unfortunately for Superman, I don't think he's going to enjoy his encounter with the Aliens as much as the rest of us will. It's sure to be the crossover of the year. Monthly shipping May 23rd, 1995. Superman vs. Aliens number one was released on May 23rd, 1995. According to the late Mike's Amazing World of Comics, it ranked number 13 on the Diamond Top 300 in unit sales and second place in dollars after X-Men Prime number one, both bearing a $4.95 cover price. It sold well over twice as many copies as that month's Aliens vs. Predator War number one and nearly three times as well as Alien vs. Predator Deadliest of the Species number 11. I don't have this in trade. I don't know if there... I'm sure that there's some kind of uh, uh, back matter. Which the first one? Huh? Yes, yeah, and Aliens? Yeah, the, the first yeah, one. Yeah, there's no back matter. There's nothing. There's, nothing. there's, an, in, there's an intro that I can photograph and send to you or something if you like. Okay. Um, but there's no there's no sketches or anything. There's no mullet or anything yeah. in sketch form. So knowing that I don't have any kind of collection of this, I believe they did the trade like you said, and I think they also recollected it in one of the Dark Horse DC Greatest Hits, you know, mm, compilations. Yeah. Uh, and I don't yeah. have any of those either, physical copies of those. Um, so I, I thought, okay, well, I, I like having a little something extra, and I, I just didn't have access. But then I remembered the first issue of Hero Illustrated. I think it was Hero Illustrated. No, no, sorry. The first issue of Overstreet's Fan had had a cover feature on Alien, Superman Aliens. And they all even had an enhanced cover. It was a gatefold where the, the front cover is Superman facing an alien, and then you'd open it up at the middle, because they, they're kind of overlap a little bit. You'd open it up in the middle, and then you'd have a shot of Superman and the aliens fighting. And then being a cover-featured story, it's like, oh, great, there's an article, and here's an interview. There was. Being the first issue, you could tell these guys don't know how to put together a magazine, or they didn't have the materials they needed. Yeah. So you've got barely any text, very little information about the project, in, in small little blurbs, and then great big pictures of a Dan Jargon Superman from a random issue of Superman, multiple images of Kelly Jones' aliens from Hive specifically. And then finally, at the very end, over, I think, a two-page spread, they just fan out like four to eight pages of artwork from the project. Clearly, these are color guides, so it's not the the black and white artwork, not the finished yeah. printed colors, it's just the color guides fanned out, where it's like they must have like last minute got the actual images they needed and just threw them off into these two pages and then walked away from it. But all yeah. I got from that material was that Dan Jurgens and, and Mike Carlin had talked to Mike Richardson before, I don't know, I don't think it was, it was before Batman Alien, uh, sorry, Batman Predator for sure, and they wanted to go ahead and do this project and the idea was they wanted to beef up Superman, give him some bona fides by having him get tied into an edgy, dark, you know, narrative. Dan Jurgens wanted to challenge himself to see if he could produce a Superman story that was also an alien story and have a different flavor, having already worked on Superman for, I think at that point, something like six years. He wanted to challenge himself to see if he could do something that was appropriate for both media that's being matched together, but most specifically be able to do a darker Superman story that wasn't the same flavor as people would expect from him from the main comic books. But the problem was, then the death of Superman happens and all everything that was related to that. And so the project kept getting pushed back year after year until finally they had enough time to for Jurgens specifically to work on it. Why they didn't just go with another creator, I don't know. I guess they were just married to Jurgens, or maybe they 
made that contact with DC. DC decided that Jurgens was going to be the guy, and nobody wanted to yeah. mess with it in, for fear that the project would fall apart. So finally, I think it was 95, the book actually comes out. Excerpt from Overstreet's Fan Number 1, cover dated June 1995, featuring an Aliens vs. Predator cover, Gatefold, by Jurgens and Nolan. DC's Mike Carlin on Superman vs. Aliens by J.C. Vaughn. Mike Carlin. We always think we have a good story. We don't set out to do a crummy story. A lot of the people who work on comics, whether they are editors or writers or artists, are fans of science fiction and action adventure. We're as much into these team-ups as the readers are, and it's no fun to do a team-up that is lame. It's tons of fun to do team-ups that sound cool. This is ultimately where we get our thrills as well. We hope that comes off the page to the readers. This is going to be an unusual looking job for people who are familiar with Dan Jurgens' work on Superman, because one of the things that I like to do when we do these crossovers is to actually try to pair up people who we haven't seen together before, who are logically connected to the properties that are teaming up, so that it's not that jarring for either franchise. For a fan of Aliens, they are going to see Kevin Nolan, who has been associated with the Aliens. For the fans of Superman, they will see Dan Jurgens' storytelling, but the combination is definitely unusual. Unusual in a great way. Not even just a good way. It is one of the best looking jobs I've ever worked on. I know that sounds like hype, but it really is true. The coloring is coming out great. The separations are coming out great. It's going to be a really, really great looking project. Michael Yuri, the Dark Horse editor attached to the project, said that what he's seen is impressive. He compared the style and pacing of the miniseries to the first two Aliens movies. The first issue starts at a slower and ultimately creepier pace, Yuri said. We begin with that Ridley Scott alien feel where you know something is going to happen, but it takes a while. Events are mounting. The tension is building. Then when Superman finally confronts the alien queen, the action really starts to pick up and you shift to that James Cameron aliens in your face frenetic mode where there's something happening constantly. Very exciting. So that, that was it though. That was all I got is that he was supposed to do it a long time ago. Stuff happened. He finally got done and that was the intentions with the project. That's all I had to add to the actual talking about the story. Okay. So did you read yeah. this when it came out? I did read it as it came out. Yeah, because I'd latched onto Nolan by that point. And um, I mean, it is a it's a Kevin Nolan comic by by any other name. My mature fan eyes, I, I can't get past how how staid it is considering the content. But I did actually really enjoy the story. I think it's probably the Dan Jurgen story I've most enjoyed. I, I don't have a lot of time for him as a writer or an artist, really. But I did I did really enjoy this. I like the swerve with the character who's clearly his cousin or is she, and just this idea of like drifting further and further away from from the sun and Superman losing his powers is actually a really good hook for Superman for the circumstances of the story. This idea that he's just gradually losing his powers and becoming increasingly vulnerable to attack from these things is pretty clever. When I hear the premise, my, I immediately want to reject it because it's like, well, what is alien? What are aliens going to do against Superman? So it's a, it's yeah. a very clever device where he's got some of his powers. He's obviously in his suit. He's not like having to run around in a spacesuit or anything like that. He's got enough of his powers to continue to do Superman type stuff, but he's not at full strength and therefore he's much more vulnerable, increasingly so, at intentioning to the story as it progresses. It's probably the best possible story you can have involving Superman and the Xenomorphs. <laughs> Credit yeah. for that. It was very cleverly done. A story that I didn't think should be done, didn't think could be done, could, and this was the best, probably the best presentation of that concept. It's a real shame they didn't let his reduced pack, like they could have done like, you know how Wildcats aliens had Stormwatch die and Spawn Batman, he ends up with a with a gash in his face that kind of tied to continuity. They could have had the Superman, the, the alien bloods burn off his mullet um, yeah. and re <laughs> return things to normal, but they chose not to and more for them. <laughs> well, I do think that it's probably a situation too where Fox seemed to give a lot of latitude to Dark Horse on their projects, but I do think that ultimately everything had to be put back into place by the end of the story. There are probably a lot more eyes on this particular crossover than most, so I don't think 
either party wanted anything to come out of the story afterwards. It seems to me like a lot of the creator-owned properties, when they do these crossovers, they're much more inclined to play with things and, and get, try to get away with stuff, particularly like you mentioned, Batman Spawn. That obviously <clears throat> happens in the Todd McFarlane, Frank Miller portion. And Todd probably turned in his project as late as he possibly could. And my understanding was that they, he basically said, you go off and do yours, I'll do mine. Don't tell me how to do mine. I won't tell you how to do yours. And so they sort of had this agreement that allowed him to get away with that without there being any problems. Plus, he didn't affect Batman's continuity going forward. He affected his own. So that yeah. was a risk he was willing to take and you know, to make sure nobody would try to act upon that. And it, relatively speaking, you know, an injury is, isn't is the, the most litigious thing you could do in terms of continuity that's going to carry out <laughs> yeah. the project. And there's another one we'll talk about uh, at another time that I was thinking could have done something similar to that as well. But yeah, I think it's probably you've ultimately you still have two corporations who are making sure that nobody's going to do anything in this book that's going to cause them any problems going forward. But of course, you do have the planting the seed of Kara. For years, people still played with that possibility. It's like, are you sure you don't want to bring back the Kryptonian? Even though ultimately she's proven to not be Kryptonian. Yeah. They still were like, are you sure you don't want to bring back that Kara? Especially as things started to go south with the Matrix Supergirl. People still held on to that hope, but I think that they always knew that they were giving people false hope. It was always about the tease, the sizzle, as opposed to any expectation of the stake ever arriving. Yeah, and I mean, I, I didn't have, I wasn't invested at all in the continuity or whatever, so I, I just quite enjoyed that for the story being it was. I can imagine if you're like one of these, you know, you've been reading since Crisis or whatever, I can imagine it, that would have been a very sort of um, enticing and then like have the rug pulled out from under you. It was probably not the same effect for diehard Supergirl fans as it was for was for me. Well, one of my online buddies is Dr. Ange with uh, Supergirl's comic box commentary and mm. he got a Kevin Nolan sketch and he specifically asked him to draw the car from this miniseries in the Supergirl costume. So as you said, like literally you were describing Ange there, hardcore fan, wanted to see that come about and actually got Kevin Nolan to draw it for him. Very nice. Yeah, I like that. And how, how did you find Supergirl for it? So she's basically holding the gun or something? No, no. Otherwise she it, does look like Kara anyway, no? He, he drew her with the face, the, you know, the face and the hair similar to how she was rendered in this this book, but in the okay. uh, Supergirl costume, I believe the specifically the, the Matrix Supergirl costume, but I'd have to double check, but a, a, basically a classic costume or near enough to a classic costume, but with the different hair and different facial characteristics and, and like leaner, you know, like she was a little bit skinny, a little malnourished, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, Dan Jurgens is giving the framework for the character in this book where it was pure Kevin Nolan on the sketch. So a little bit of variance there. Because like you said, definitely the end product is very Kevin Nolan. And the good thing about Dan Jurgens is he knows that. I think there are some people that probably resent the assimilator type of inkers, embellishers, where yeah. their work is completely subverted by the time they're done with it. Jurgens goes into these books inked by Nolan expecting it to be Nolanized and, and pleased for that to happen. I don't think the story works nearly as well without that Nolan dark quality to it. But as you said, the storytelling is very Jurgens. And I think yeah. particularly a lot of the faces, particularly Kara's face, there's a lot of Jurgens in there. Actually, more so the, um, the Lex Luthor stand-in, the female scientist that's running yeah. LexCorp at that point. There's a lot of Jurgens in her facial features. So even though he's deeply buried under the Nolan, there's still enough Jurgens here to where I can I can recognize his storytelling at the very least. And I, for me, that is one of the problems is that it's still, at the end of the day, you know that this is a Superman story under the triangle number policies. The, the way they handle their stories is a little bit darker, but ultimately, every Everybody that goes into that story from the Superman line is coming out of that story the same, unchanged. Yeah. Superman vs. Aliens number two barely slipped to 16th place and retained it number two and dollar share, topped by the much cheaper Spawn Blood Feud number one, with over twice as many 
copies ordered. AVP War number 2 sold less than half as well. In the far corners of space, Earth's yellow sun is a distant memory to Superman. Without its nurturing glow, his powers are fading fast. Will they hold out long enough for him to save the domed city of Argo from an infestation of aliens? Or is the Man of Steel doomed to die amongst what may be the ruins of his long-lost Krypton? It's, it's interesting. I'm just sort of scrolling through the thing. Firstly, I didn't, I hadn't picked up previously on there's a thanks to John Nyberg thing at the beginning of the issues, which is so. So there were inkassists from the guy who inked Mignola on Dracula. That's quite interesting. But aside from that, I just just picked up on like the idea of you know Superman gets his S torn off very early by I think it's uh, the jaws of an alien. So you got again this thing where he's not Superman because he's he's increasingly not Superman because he's getting further from the sun. So he hasn't got the S on his chest. That's quite clever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and you also they got the bit in the first issue where they're going over his execution of the parallel universe Kryptonian criminals oh, and yeah. how that scarred him permanently, how it drove, drove him to a nervous breakdown, as they would have said back in the day, his dogged resistance to actually killing any of the aliens and how that becomes more and more intractable and, and more and more impractical as the story goes on. It's like these people are going to kill us. You have to kill them back or we're going to die. And Superman just relentlessly saying, no, 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 I can, I, I can save everybody. Letting you really planting this into that time period of Superman and making it more of a Superman story ultimately than it is an alien story. But I do like that they made sure to give you that canonical rationale for why he is so dogged in his refusal to just exterminate bugs, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's interesting that Superman not killing thing because he's stuck with that so much and it feels like occasionally that they'll sort of bend that rule a little bit. Whereas with Captain America from the Ultimates, at some point that realistic thing of the in the Marvel Universe came in of like, well, he fought in the war, so he would have killed Germans and stuff, so so maybe he does kill. So they've completely taken that out of Captain America's character of this thing where he would just sort of throw shields around and knock people over and moved him towards more of a kind of a, well, if needs must kind of guy, which he, which he wasn't for the longest time, right? Well, see, that's, that's one thing that's interesting with Captain America specifically is there, there are most superheroes I agree with not killing just because there's already a strong fascist bent to superheroes and to go that extra step toward authoritarianism I sometimes have reservations about. But Cap in the 40s was shoot gunning down Japanese like a madman. He, you know, he was he, he him and Bucky both had machine guns, you know, they were killing people clearly in the 40s. But then you had all the restrictions on killing that came in with the comics code in the 60s and so Marvel abided by that. But then you get into like the invaders, the revival of the, the 1940s style characters by Roy Thomas and there were inferences and you saw imagery from that time. Sorry, I, I, I used it incorrectly. You told me otherwise. <laughs> there are implications, yes. and then and there are images from the 40s that let you know that Cap was probably killing. And then as early as I think 81, when you had the uh, Roger Stern John Byrne run, and Cap infamously cut chopped off Baron Blood's head, recognizing that this creature could not exist without exterminating other people. He could not exist without being a murderer perpetually, and so he, he yeah. killed him. Then going forward from that, you've got Mark Ruinwald in I think 86, 87, where he faces the terrorists of Ultimatum and has has the Gundam down with an Uzi, and there's a, a again a notorious cover by Mike Zek where you see him striking a Rambo type pose, screaming and firing his guns. Now, Mark Runewald used it as an opportunity to explain why Cap does not continue to use guns, why he stopped using guns during the war, but also expressed that if I have to kill, as a last resort, I will kill. In that particular instance, he didn't have a shield, he had a gun, the terrorists were about to kill innocent people, he had no recourse but to shoot them. But generally speaking, he does not want to end people's lives because he still sees that every human
human life has the potential. Everybody has the right, the potential to turn around. Redemption. Yeah, or redemption. And one thing that's great with Cap is that he has a history of taking people who were bad guys and kind of making them at least anti-heroes, if not outright heroes, flipping them. So that being the case, I like that he, if he has to, he will go there. He is a soldier. He's not someone who's like, I'm a conscientious objector who just flinches people's teeth down their throats. That's all. He will kill if he yeah. has to, but, <laughs> but he has a history of, yes, I will kill. And of course you get to the ultimates. With the ultimates, of course, you've got the uh, the nationalism that comes in strong and Mark Millar, Mark Millaring. But I, mm. it is somewhat consistent with his characterization that he will kill depending on the circumstance. And But he's not a bloodthirsty maniac either. Where Superman, yeah. Superman is so powerful that going back to his earliest stories, he never, he's so powerful he shouldn't have to resort to killing him, except under the most extreme circumstances. This clearly being one of them, but because he usually doesn't have to, because the story usually dictates that he shouldn't, I don't have a problem with him being <laughs> unrealistic in this matter and like just having strong reservations against killing. He did grow up on a farm. You'd think he'd probably at least have been around for the slaughter of a pig or something and understand the difference between alien xenomorph and the human being, but I, I'll, I'll allow it in this circumstance. Yeah, and it, it feels like almost, I don't know if there was any sort of influence there, because normally I guess Superman's fighting um, or comes up against alien races that can, he can somehow speak to and are senti sentient and things. Whereas these things, it's, it's almost like a reaction to Starship Troopers, right? Where Starship Troopers was pure, like, let her kill them. And then, you know, the obvious sort of um, allegories for, for American international policy or whatever. Whereas this feels like that kind of, that sort of thing of like, well, just because I can't understand them doesn't mean that they're not living things with their own value. Do you know what I mean? It's, it feels like there's something, it almost feels like the anti-Starship Troopers in that, that treatment of giant spiders, giant bugs, you know? Right, absolutely. And it makes sense that Superman would be embodying the best conception of humanity despite being an alien himself. And in this case, because he's an alien himself, he probably has a little bit more empathy toward at least looking to the best possible natures of these creatures, potentially. But yeah, I do think that maybe after having the acid blood splash in your eyes and being surrounded by people who are dying, it's like, you might want to like man up at some point, but I completely get where it would, he would be the slowest person to go to a place where he's just outright killing people. Although yeah. the funny thing in this case is his, he's such a dogged optimist and he's so divorced from the reality of the situation. Mostly he makes things worse in the course of the story. And so it's funny yeah. how the alien's nihilism, the alien's cynicism, even in the face of his idealism corrupts the narrative of a Superman story because, oh, I'm going to save these guys. I'm going to put them in my ship and send them back to the LexCorp satellite and they're going to be able to help these people and instead he ends up spreading the infection. He's surrounded by people who are still alive in Argo City. They all are seemingly dead by the end of the story. Really the only positive thing that he affects is by ultimately helping to destroy this, this planetoid, he does stop the infection from progressing any further and prevents LexCorp from, from getting a hold of any of this material to do anything with it but mostly he's just irrelevant to the story he's just these people were all going to die with or without him and he doesn't really help anybody seemingly except perhaps Kara although that's left semi-ambiguous yeah she doesn't look like she has a great time coming at the end of it just floats off into space in a life raft I, I feel for your Supergirl your Supergirl fan mate that feels like that in the years that have passed it feels like that could have been brought back round and we could have seen seen an outcome from that that was a more a happier ending for that character at the very least let her pop up in the sequel or something right yeah i mean i i don't read current superman comics but glancing at them there's about 19 different supermen and super supergirls you might as well have one of them that was in alien superman aliens right well i do think it was clever to the use of teleportation to save her from 
certain death under these circumstances. That was novel, and that's the sort of thing you can do in a Superman story that would really be a groaner in an alien story. But for that to happen yes. to Superman, it makes perfect sense. And I do like, too, the dimples on the sides of their faces after they've had the face huggers on them. I don't know that we've ever yeah. really seen a lot of, like, bruising and stuff. I don't even remember that from the movies. But it works well in this comic book to let people know where our characters are at at this point without it being uh, to the point of distraction. Yeah, something about Nolan's style, despite the fact it's own, like, again, fairly staid Dan Jurgen's layouts. But Nolan's style just makes those things look, like, really gross. Like, really, yeah. <laughs> like, physically uncomfortable. Clearly, the, the strongest influence of Nolan is in the, the Xenomorphs themselves. I see very little Jurgens left by the time Nolan is done with it, and he is clearly having a field day. And this is the second time, I think, inking somebody doing an alien story, because he'd also inked Mike Mignola on Sacrifice or Salvation? Salvation. Uh, yeah, sac yeah. Uh, Salvation. Was that before this? Uh, yes, that would have been before this, yeah. I think okay. I'm more or less taking them in chronological order by publication day. He'd already kind of gotten trained with Mike Mignola on how to do this, and they are extraordinarily good-looking aliens and there's a reason why other artists keep coming back to Nolan and asking pretty please will you ink me on this alien story because he nails it. <laughs> Superman versus Aliens number three actually rose to number nine in unit sales but remained number two in dollar share this time thwarted by Cyblade Chi the battle for independence number one if you can believe it both were number three and deadliest of the species number 12 sold less than half as well the miniseries was also the best selling Superman title for each of its three months. Away from the nurturing yellow sun, his powers fading fast, Superman struggles to stay alive amongst the alien-infested ruins of Argo. But the real threat isn't the alien queen that's stalking him. It's the chestburster planted inside him. Can he beat the bug inside his chest, or is he doomed to die on a distant planet? Copy continues. It's the ultimate hero against the ultimate horror in DC and Dark Horse's most exciting crossover yet, Superman vs. Aliens. Superman writer-artist Dan Jurgens teams with Kevin Nolan for this inner galactic grudge match that's sure to have fans talking for years. Shipping July 25th, 1995. That Gil Kane cover is, is just so funny. The Wildcats Aliens <laughs> cover where, where Kevin Nolan got paid paid extra to turn, because Gil Kane didn't realise it was a um, it was an alien, as in uh, a xenomorph. Oh yes, so I remember Kane that. I like that's right, I forgot about that. It's so funny. If you look at the pencils, it's fucking hilarious. I kind of, I almost wish they'd publish that version as like a variant or something. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Nolan just nails that texture and that sort of the sort of slickness of them you know it's just just beautiful yeah. but I will say though I, I like the story okay I remember tossing through it when it came out I didn't feel compelled to read it as it came out so I fully read it for the first time for this project I, okay I, you know, so I, I like it I, I definitely again think it's the best thing you could do in a Superman alien story but ultimately it, you're getting two things together that I don't feel like they go together and so I'm not super hyped about a Superman with aliens or aliens with Superman. I kind of like them being in their own separate lanes. So uh, while I think that this is the best version of that, it's still not something I'm super into, especially with Dan Jurgens involved. It's not my favorite Dan Jurgens story. I've liked him on a, a number of things better, even though I'm not a Jurgens fan myself, either as an artist or as a writer, but he has sometimes impressed me. Sometimes he'll write a really slapping story and I'm like, oh wow, okay, this guy can, can step up and actually be a writer first. Um, okay. This wasn't one of those instances, but I did enjoy it. It's just, it's, it's, it's better than average, but I'm not like um, I don't own there's a reason why I don't own a physical copy of this one because I, I didn't buy it originally I didn't buy it in trade I only read it for the project I'm probably never going to read it again even though it's solid even Kevin Nolan Kevin Nolan's inked better alien stories so I'd rather go backwards <laughs> yeah. or forwards to ones we've already referenced I'd rather read Salvation or uh, Wildcats Aliens or yeah than, than this one because I, I think that those work better as alien stories and that's what I'm here for yeah 
Yeah, and, and my 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 main takeaway because I, I rebought it a little while ago because because I thought I'm never going to read. It's not even just a mullet; it just looks wet all the time. It just Kevin Nolan draws it too well. It just is, is, it looks like like PCB light or whatever it is from Coming to America. It's like really does some something horrible to it, and and so I just find it so ugly. So I had sold it years ago, and then I thought I thought I can't not have that much Kevin Nolan in my collection. You know, it, even at its worst, it's still pretty it's technically brilliant or whatever so i bought it again and then i forced myself to reread it and my main takeaway from a from a reread of it under those conditions was that it just outstays its welcome like it, it could have been quite a lean two-parter but as i'm again scrolling through it it's like four panels on every page loads and loads of dialogue and it just keeps going and going and going and i, and I think a, a better writer would have would have reined it into something more manageable and more more enjoyable well, you know the thought process. We've got three 48-page prestige format books selling for like five bucks a pop. We're going to be near the top 10 every month, if not in the top 10. Both companies are going to make buku bucks if they do three issues. They probably wanted him to go to four, you know? Uh, uh, yeah. It was probably uh, an exercise of strength to just stay with three. It's like, I can do three 48 pages. That's all I can give you. Even if Kevin Nolan's inking me, I'm only giving you three 48 pages. I can't take it to four. Yeah. I got other books to do this month. I think the, the, the trick of the three issue prestige mini which which is what most of like elseworlds became for example i think the trick was he has time to lower their orders for the final issue mm. but as soon as you do a four issue you first issues come out and you're like oh god this isn't what we expected and so you have that massive drop off for issue four mm-hmm. which i'm sure they probably had with superman like claremont's superman wonder woman gods and monsters thing um i don't know how much the orders were on that one to begin with though i think that was always a bit of a reach <laughs> and i want to say it was about a buck more than it was supposed to be for some reason I seem to remember that one okay. like a premium price on it even for prestige format because that one I bought new uh, and I liked it I'm the one guy who liked that one okay like, I, I, I like Dusty Able a lot yeah I, I do like yeah. Dusty Able yeah I think the, the the one that maybe hurt more was Aliens Predator Deadliest of the Species where while it still sold pretty decent throughout I think this was like a top 10 top 20 book when it first came out and it just like steadily slid and because it was a bi-monthly people had time to respond pretty quickly and it was starting out in 93 when the entire industry was bottoming out so I'm sure the Drop from one to six was probably pretty precipitous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't finish that, I think, as we, we discussed previously. Um, now, I, I did, yeah. and it was painful, let me tell you. You chose correct, well, I chose well because I didn't finish it the first time around, but my, my dumb ass <laughs> decided to do a podcast about this shit, so I had to the second time. Absolutely, yeah, you complete its nature, got the better of you. Well, there's got to be something in all of this that will, you'll just be like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I'm surprised how many things, because again, I, the one thing I was going to draw a line was I didn't want to do any of the pro stuff. I'm doing Dark Horse comics, but Ryan wanted to do Tribes, and I'm I'm not sorry we did tries. I enjoyed it. But I, that was going to draw the line. No pros. I'm doing comics. Dark Horse comic for sense. But they ended up getting me to do that one too. So I, I, I honestly think I'm over the hump. I don't think there's going to be anything so terrible going forward that I can't no. find amusement in it. And I don't think there'll be any more extended periods of bad stuff. So I think the worst is behind me at this point. Yeah, I think you're probably at the point though uh, in terms of like bonus content where there's no excitement behind the scenes for most of the stuff that's coming up, right? There's no uh, controversy. There's no changes in in creators halfway through it's all a bit here's a good creative team doing four issues mm-hmm. next here's a good creative team doing two issues I definitely so, um, like 
when Aliens was the top priority of Dark Horse, when it was their easily their best-selling property, and they got the very best people they could get their hands on to do it, they, and they were much more aspirational, and they would allow somebody to be months late if it meant the highest quality product, mm. That that's what I'm going to miss. Because aside from these crossovers, which are already going to be somewhat blunted by the nature of being crossovers between two companies, and what do you expect from that? The simple fact is, is Aliens stopped being a priority. Because Star Wars came along, and Star Wars was the priority. Star Wars was the book that was making Dark Horse their money and Aliens mm. ultimately especially after Alien 3 just it falls off in sales they still sell well enough to continue to make the product but you know you'll there uh, we're coming off of like a one-year gap or so where you know there just wasn't any alien product they realized that they had oversaturated the market they burnt everybody out and they just stopped for a full year and then there's going to be more gaps coming up where they'll take several years off at a time so it's just yeah. not the priority it was where once the Star Wars machine starts up there isn't a month that doesn't have a Star Wars book in it where they just aren't as worried about aliens and therefore with the exception of instances where creators like I want to do an aliens thing and they let them go to town um, they're not going to pay for top of the line talent and they're going to try to steer them towards stuff that either they own like Adam Hughes doing Ghost for them well mm. that's our property we're going to make 100% of the profit off of this we don't have to share with anybody we'll we'll foot the bill for Adam Hughes doing several months and having it be a top 10 book because Adam Hughes is drawing it they're not doing that for aliens for the most part anymore this is DC paid for this you know the DC paid for this yeah. So Dark Horse isn't going to put up that kind of capital for these projects anymore. And so they're just not going to be as ambitious for the most part from what I've seen. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. I, I, I kind of admire or I envy the position that you've got of having like a, a helicopter view of it because I've got that kind of compressed memory where I don't remember the gaps because I wasn't paying attention. Like I couldn't I couldn't imagine it a year. I couldn't imagine as a as a license, licensee, licensor, I guess, licensor, you, you'd um, tolerate it. You know, it seems bonkers that you'd let a year go with no product on the shelf. Well, and it's also possible that there was something, it might have been the licensor. It might have been, you know, uh, we're going to see true. if anybody else wants this property. We're just going to let it live for a little, we feel it's oversaturated and it's good, and we're trying to work on a movie and we don't want the distraction of this. So it may not have been, come from Dark Horse. It just happened regardless though. Somebody thought that they needed to pump the brakes. Yeah, fair enough. One week shy of exactly seven years later, on May 15th, 2002, saw the release of Superman Aliens 2, God War Number 1. It was considerably less successful. The $2.99 book coming in at 77th place in unit sales and 64th in dollars. The weekly Superman titles and several minor specials outsold God War. It only outsold the Supergirl and Superboy monthly titles. It was the only Aliens title out that month and sold 27,943 copies. Solicitation copy reads, Superman faces the eternal ferocity of Aliens again in this explosive four-part series. Darkseid is bad enough with his forces of parademons and loyal henchmen on Apocalypse. But when a ship carrying the alien brood crashes into his domain, will he finally find the key to creating a relentless, indestructible army? On a visit to New Genesis, Superman is welcomed by the new gods, including Orion and Highfather. A warning predicts that a horror will soon visit New Genesis. Will even the might of the Man of Steel, combined with scores of super-powered beings, be enough to stop Darkseid's new hordes? An all-star creative team brings the now-classic aliens to life with a superhero twist and they'll have you screaming for the next issue. You told me before we started doing this one that you were not going to read it, and then ultimately you did read it. So let's Let's go ahead yeah. and talk about Superman Aliens 2 God War. 
Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> and this is quite um, a quite a gap too, because I, I I thought that it was a little closer, because the first one was what ninety five. Yeah. Yeah, and then they jumped yeah. to two thousand two for the second one. And again, I was still a retailer at this point, so I, I do vaguely recall stocking this book. I don't recall it being any kind of huge seller or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it sold better than say Nana Steel or something, but I don't I don't even think it probably pulled in the numbers of some of the mainline Superman books. And this would have been toward the end of the triangle numbers, I think. Yeah, and so. Yeah, the triangle number. No, well, I think the. Because like Jeff Loeb was doing his book by that point. Yeah, that was yeah. that was started just before the millennium, didn't mm -hmm. it? So, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Because they did the Brainiac crossover, the Y2K. Yeah, uh, and I think that was like sort of the death knell of the triangle numbers. Yeah, I think so. So it's interesting. I, I look looking at like the graphic design. Like I don't remember. Um, I don't remember what was what was coming out at the time. But this must have been around the same sort of time as Superman Tarzan, Superman Madman, perhaps. Mm -hmm. maybe that might have been I want to say that actually. was a little earlier I think that was the late 90s but Superman Tarzan yeah almost certainly because if I remember correctly didn't they get like a Carlo Magna or what that is he Spanish uh, Meglia yeah 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 that, that very so divisive good, so artist good. I remember <laughs> yeah yeah I, I'm fir firmly in the genius camp but um, but I, I know I know a lot of people didn't like it he's not the guy you want on your monthly Superman book for sure um, so no. you know he's he, you want to have him on the right property and that's probably not the place for him to be do you remember that issue of Action Comics that he did? There was um he did a cover on what he did a he did a three issue arc that he didn't finish, which was a Justice Society like Earth Two story. Mm. Um, so he did like one and one and I thought he had a like bit, a run. Bit. Didn't he have at least like six to nine months or something? It was more than uh, three no, issues, Meg, wasn't it? No, Megley did three issues, and then he did one cover, and then he did one issue that he completed in in full, which was um which was with, the, with these monkeys being tortured and like the there's like this striking images of these eyes being held open by like um, you know like when they when they drop drop shampoo in testing animals mm -hmm. those sort of clamps holding sure. the eyes open and stuff so that, so there's one issue which he drew and I think coloured he drew a graphic novel but then there were three issues that he was supposed to do and he, he fell away from them um, like deadline wise um, and then that was it that, that was all that was all he did yeah I definitely and remember then Superman Tarzan yeah I definitely remember a strong pushback against him in the time period but I could have sworn he'd lasted longer than that but maybe it was one of those you know relatively kind of things where uh, you know uh, it, there was so much intolerance for his style on those books that it felt like exactly. it was yeah I know um, I know Ramos was a fan oh, he, did, yes. um, he did an issue of Wildcats um, in the Joe Casey like after Travis and before Jordan Phillips he drew one issue of that um, which was also gorgeous but yeah he had, he had this thing of drawing like hair on people's arms as like three sided rectangles like these big <laughs> thick it was a very specific thing that he had going on, but but I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I seem to recall liking he did. Didn't he do a book that was more a kid skewing or kid starring or something? Yeah, Monster Monster Wild with Scott Lobdell. Was that one of the uh, homage books or? Yeah, well, no, it was. I think it was actually Wildstorm proper. Okay, but it was um, it was within that. You know, Wildstorm got to a point where they were either doing licensed products or they were doing stuff which was clearly movie bait. You know, they were doing that. What, what like what do you call it? Like, like so many people do like that, that like Jeff Johns Liam Sharp project uh, where they're fighting yeah. like their combat exorcists and things like that it, it, yeah. exactly yeah. All, all sort of pitches for movies 
After a nearly three-month delay, God War No. 2 arrived in stores on August 7, 2002. It slipped to 94th place and 81st in dollar share. Solicitation copy reads, When a ship carrying an alien brood crashes into Darkseid's domain, he breeds a new horror to unleash upon the homeworld of the new gods. Superman, visiting superpowered friends on New Genesis, must once again face the threat of the near-unstoppable aliens when a hideous Parademon army, impregnated with aliens, launches a a merciless surprise attack on the otherwise peaceful planet. Dozens of super beings rally to protect a world now covered with infected par demons about to burst. Darkseid's horde is bad enough, but how deadly will their alien spawn be? A surprise ending raises the stakes in this war to a level unforeseen by Superman and his mighty allies. I loved it. So you told me you didn't finish finish it or skimmed it or whatever. No, no, no. Uh, when the book was coming out, it was another instance where I flipped through it on the table, didn't read it at the time, I don't think or maybe I skimmed it at the time but didn't keep, take any for myself didn't keep any in my own collection and um, only read it to, you know for, for the project although I did have some interest in reading it more now than back then I have a greater interest in uh, Kirby's New Gods now than I did back then um, mm. and I over time too John Bognob has become like my number two Superman artist um, yeah he was somebody who when he was doing books like um, he did X Factor for a little while with Louise Simonson and yeah. I was like what the hell is this guy doing on this book and it wasn't like yeah. one of my favorite X-Files to begin with. But then over the course of his work on X-Factor, I started to appreciate his work because he had such a great sense of weight to his characters. They had a, 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 like a dimension to them. They had heft to them. Um, he drew yeah. some very sexy women. And he, he just... Hilary Barter Inks as well on those X-Factors. I think there's a mixture of like Al Milgram and Hilary Barter Inks. And the Hilary Barter stuff looks amazing, even though I didn't like it at the time at all. But but looking back on it, that stuff looks amazing. Yeah, uh, the specific uh, image I'm picturing was one of the Alan Milgram inked issues because um, it was part of the Extinction Agenda and if, uh, there was a yeah. shot where uh, Logan and uh, uh, Jean Grey kiss. Yeah. I don't, yeah, 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 you're speaking my language. Right. I, I remember like, I didn't like Liefeld but reading Extinction Agenda, I was like one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> like the, Jim, the Jim Lee stuff's amazing. The Rob Liefeld stuff, you know, it's it's in the same sort of vein. Mm -hmm. What on earth is going on with x <laughs> And I, I didn't understand Understand it at all. Now I look back, that cover with Havoc versus Cyclops, I absolutely love. Um, but that that image of them in the cell having their having their big kiss and um, Wolverine looking like he's wearing mascara, like <laughs> it's just all strange to me now. Right, but, well, but I loved it. I loved that. That's when I finally turned the corner on Bogdanov and realized, okay, this guy's got something that the other guys don't have. Okay, interesting. And see, I like. Obviously, I was very much enamored with the image style, although children of Arthur Adams. But suddenly, I realized that uh, Bogdanov had something to say too with his heart and uh, yeah. I, it was another thing too where Man of Steel launched and I wasn't paying attention to DC I wasn't paying attention to Superman I don't even think I had access to those comic books at that time they weren't on the newsstand from what I recall but eventually as I started buying those books uh, especially around the time of Reign of Superman I just was gravitated toward Bogdanov and over time especially because of that strong Schuster influence he has in his work uh, I just grew to love his Superman the most and I've actually got a mug with artwork that I'm pretty confident is Bogdanov I, I just love looking at his Superman. He just, he gets it. He has the, like probably the best Lois Lane too or it's up there yeah. anyway. Um, so I, I really do love his work on Superman and obviously like with Dan Jurgens, you've got a very, a, an artist very associated with Superman doing an Aliens project and it's Kevin Nolan tying it all together for you. Yeah, yeah and just one, one last word on Bogdano because I, I kept, I was looking back on Man, on, Man of Steel that the mullet like he really sells, he goes hard on the mullet and, and it takes away from so much of that Superman stuff 
stuff for me. Um, I do still want to find those early issues because I've never read them. The thing where he's on the island and things, it just looks looks amazing. But those three issues that he did, going back to the Schuster thing, the three issues that he did that looked like the, the Fleischer Superman cartoons, where it's like, I think it takes place in the context of some stupid diamond crossover story, triangle crossover story. But it's yeah, like... Yeah, it's, it's that guy who Nazi creates alternate universes Superman. and stuff, the fellow with the Dominus. They got the floating hands. Yes. Yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that that's like an afterthought. It comes in like the last page of issues, the third part or something. But otherwise, it's just Superman fighting Nazis in Metropolis. I mean, I, I just like, it's like the Fleischer, it's like Batman, if Batman Adventures did a Batman cartoon, those comics feel like the Superman, the Fleischer Superman's turned into comics. And so, yeah, I, I, I love Bogdanov and, and, I, and I just can't find enough of it that sort of can be, can stand alone and be read alone and doesn't yeah. tie into other stuff. So it's a bit of a shame. It, it was, it was brilliant marketing move to have all four of the books be a serial and also throw in a fifth book when they needed to for the five week months and make sure they had a Superman book every single week when that was a thing that was sustainable in the American North American market. Um, mm. But yeah, when you try to go back and read any of that stuff in isolation because you really liked the team of Louise Simonson and John Boganov or any of the teams, fuck you, buddy. Mm. You know, you can't have that. We don't, we, we, <laughs> we didn't build you for you. We built it for that weekly audience. And it worked wonders. You know, I, I definitely had people who bought the Superman titles. Just like, it, it was one of the only times like, and Batman kind of had that to a degree as well. It was one of the only times where you had a uh, DC sales uh, set up the way that Marvel did with their X titles, where you people just bought every single one because it was part of the set. You know, it's a weekly yeah. thing, this particular property. So commercially, it was a brilliant idea. Creatively, eh, I've never been a fan of that period. I'm, I'm there. Are, there are people who swear by it, and I just have different tastes from them. And I'm always going to be in, in contrast to them because I, I felt like it was just a constant creative compromise week to week. Yeah. Whereas the Batman books, I don't at the same at the same period of time, the Batman books never felt more. Each one had such an identity. It wasn't just different creators. Each one had you had the superhero one, you had the detective one, um, you had the the anthology one, then you had Chronicles or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm not including Shadow of the Bat. That one had no identity. Um, well, when Alan Grant but, and Ray Fogel were doing it, it was very much their vibe. After they left, that, that was five issues. Was. Huh? That was five issues. You no, know, well, Alan Grant stayed on for longer though. Alan, it, it was the Alan Grant replacement yeah. book for about two years, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Alan Grant stuck with it for for quite a long time. And you had John Paul Leon and Tommy Lee Edwards. Uh, there was like a lot of, it was a Barry Kitson did one. I think um, 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 Brett Blevins had a run on that one while he was doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah that was good stuff yeah, too. Yeah, that, that's what convinced um, me that I liked Brett Blevins. I thought I hated Brett Blevins from New Mutants and then I saw him on the, the Batman titles and it was like, whoa, this guy's right. actually really great. I, I don't, I, I just, for some reason I just hated him on New Mutants and he wasn't part of the family again like Bogdanov and then I see him in another context it's like what the fuck was wrong with me this guy's great yeah and did you go did you go back to New Mutants and see it with Al Williamson and think I was a lunatic I was so wrong I just really never liked New Mutants you know so I've never felt the <laughs> desire to go back and reread that material I think that they probably did a great job of you know capturing teenagers with mutant powers and stuff it's just not a, a genre that ever as a kid as a teen it never really interested me I always wanted to see the grown ups doing grown ups stuff. The core concept of X-Men being a school for gifted youngsters was the thing I hate like the least about the X-Men as a kid and yeah, forevermore. It called good when they grew up. <laughs> yeah, I wanted the adults doing cool adventures and having action and stuff. I'd never cared about the school aspect of it. Yeah, when when Liefeld, I saw a thing, I, I can't remember, I mean, he says the same things in every interview, but on one of them, there was a thing where he was talking about the, the bird character in New Mutants. 
Blevins, mm. and Blevins had a lot to do with, mm -hmm. and um, he was ripping the piss out of it. And to be honest, fair point, I, I, I don't know that I've ever agreed with Rob Life on anything, <laughs> but on, on that one, he's got a fair point. Now, that, that thing's just ridiculous, mm. you know? It, it, it's, it's up there with Ewoks and Jar Jar Binks in terms of like shoveling in something for the kids into a series that's already for kids, mm -hmm. and kids aren't buying it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Big Jar Jar Binks energy, you're right. <laughs> Um, but I've, I've tangent it again. Sorry. No worries. No worries. Uh, so you were uh, like, you read this off. Superman the Aliens Two. Yeah, you read this off the stands. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dixon. Dixon plus good artist for me is always is always like he, he doesn't take much elevating if he's with a boring artist or a shit artist. I'm not not interested. But as soon as he's with anyone any good, he just there's something about the work. It just it just sings. Well, then the, the, we have to deal with the elephant in the room. Chuck Dixon, you like Batman, you like. Yeah. Chuck Dixon, Batman by Graham Nolan. Like, dislike. Um, with the writing, I've got the three-parter that Senkevich inked, but it felt like a lot of that run was a showcase for, like, let's see what different inkers do over Graham Nolan. So um, so I'm trying to think which ones I've actually got, because Ed, Ed Barreto inked a few and made it look more like Barreto, and then um, and then Senkevich inked, inked three issues, which was like a Deathstroke story, and and looked at, as looked amazing. Um, but no, overall, not, not a fan. There's that. There's that. There's a one-shot issue which is um. It's got Graham Nolan inked by Kevin Nolan on the mm. cover. It's a standalone issue, and I can't remember who inks the interiors. But um. But yeah, it's it, it's it's just boring. I just yeah. Graham Nolan's not for me. Yeah, see, that's one of those deals where again, I was an image guy, so I love that that jazzy artwork. They give me all the speed lines, give me all the jagged panels, give me all that stuff. I was I was hundred percent behind it in the time period. I'll own that. That's why I have an image podcast because that's in mm. my blood. I've got some chromium mixed up in the blood with. The yeah, the lipids. Um, Rub the blood. Right. But as I gotten older and I can appreciate the demands of comic book storytelling and realizing that it's really great when you can get somebody who will draw a table and will draw a car and will draw mm. like all the stuff that you want to have in a story that, you know, the, the image guys would cross hatch to oblivion or, you know, you've got a background that's nothing there but a color, you know. I, you have to appreciate yeah. a guy like Graham Nolan who will, who will draw the things you tell him to draw and he'll draw it in a cinematic style and he'll draw it in a way that you completely see what's happening like if Graham Nolan had drawn the human a target miniseries you would know whose fault it was that that the ending didn't quite work land for you because you know? <laughs> he, he yeah. whatever the writer put on the page on the script page he would have drawn but at the same time as much as I try to appreciate that and it makes me definitely appreciate guys like Eduardo Barreto more because even though he's got that kind of old-timey mid-century style he, he 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 can draw a lot of things that other people will not draw and I have to respect that and I, I appreciate him more but Graham Nolan does it so goddamn boring and it's yeah. like I've, I've run into him at a few conventions and it's like well I could get a Graham Nolan sketch if I want to but A he wanted way too much for his boring ass artwork and B I looked at his sketches his sketches are even more boring because he will put nothing into them that give them any oomph it's like you know the, the, he's got his stock Bane poses his stock Batman yeah. poses he might as well just take out a big rubber stamp and because you're going to get an extremely predictable bland result and I would not go quite so hard for him but he's also one of these assholes who's lifting weights and smoking cigars and he's a comic skater and all that toxic yeah. masculine bullshit that when I would go by his table and I'd see nobody there and I would see him drawing nothing. I used to feel bad about it. I don't feel bad about it no more. Yeah, now now, now there's a, a, a little bit of a schadenfreude, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he uh, I picked up recently, the, they did a, um, a Vengeance of Bane reprint because 
all, all these comics that are worth so much money now, and not to be old manish about it, but all these comics that are worth so much money that do not justify the price. Yeah. The print runs were enormous. The, you know, the fact it's the first Bane or whatever is is secondary to the fact that the print runs were enormous. There's loads of these comics out there. Anyway, I picked up a reprint, which I te- try not to do. I just don't like. I don't like the way things look on newer paper mm. with new adverts and that sort of stuff. Uh, but nonetheless, I got a Vengeance of Bane because I was having a, a, a Beretta moment and I hadn't read it since it came out and I was reading Nightfalls that came out. And so, um, yeah, the Beretta saves it big mm-hmm. time. And, and it's amazing because Beretta on his own is, is arguably a little a little on the dull side and yet it classes the act up big mm-hmm. time with Graham Nolan. Um, well, what I like so, too so, is the combination of those two, Nolan is definitely looser. And so that looseness gave it a little bit more fluidity it, it had like the action sequences had more motion and, and it moved a bit more than Barreto would have done but Barreto went in there and he did the style he gave it he tightened it up he made it a little bit more you know muscular a little more uh, uh, gave, it, gave it that oomph so I think that they basically yeah. played each other's strengths instead of their weaknesses so I, that, I agree yeah. and, and I think that was a particularly good Chuck Dixon story too definitely did a great job of selling that character and my problem was I, I was reading like Nightfall without having read Vengeance of Bane and divorced oh. from that okay. story it just does not have the same impact that story works so well to make you to, to, to get you to buy into Bane even though he's basically still just like a, a redo of uh, Jerry Conway's Killer Croc uh, but they don't, did so great in that special and I just wish that that character had been effectively communicated in the story he was designed for you know what I mean that's a great one yeah, a, two, a two part or in the main run instead of a one shot mm-hmm. right um, Like there, there must have been a better way to bring it in rather than something that most people probably wouldn't have access, access to because it costs twice as much as a normal comic and they didn't so, tell anybody so what this guy was going to mean so that's an instance where the print run is probably lower than the demand even in the time period in which he was coming out and now that this is a character who appeared in Kevin Nolan or not Kevin Nolan Christopher Nolan movies <laughs> I'm doing it too not Graham Nolan <laughs> not Kevin Nolan I'm not watching this one I'll tell you that I can see where Avengers of Bane 1 could be a lot more valuable than say a freaking Deadpool from New Mutants 98 where they have a half me in circulation yeah. I'm confident that Avengers of Bane was at best half that and probably probably closer to a hundred thousand or less so that i can justify that price a little bit more nearly another three month delay and god war number three shipped october 30th 2002 it more or less maintained in 92nd place and 82nd in dollars solicitation copy reads like all true heroes superman tries to protect life all life even in the pitch of battle but superman has rarely seen a scourge like the aliens while a few of these creatures may not be a match for one with superman's near limitless powers, a few hundred of them unleashed like rats, in the otherworldly utopia of New Genesis does pose a considerable problem. What's worse, these aren't just any aliens, but the science of Darkseid's par demons, used as willing hosts for their master's devious machinations. But even this is not the ultimate horror. Darkseid has his sights set on a certain brooding inhabitant of New Genesis, and has saved the most insidious role for him. Um, Superman aliens, God, God Wars, great. Story-wise, uh, this is basically, I mean, yeah, it's Superman aliens but it's really aliens new god um yeah. how'd you feel about this thing you said you loved it but did you love uh, it as an art book or do you love it as a story um i love it as an art book i've got plenty of time for it as a story um I, I think i think that whole thing of um i'm not sure how much it comes into play in in this story the thing of aliens taking on the trait of the the things that they gestated in you know like are these aliens notably stronger because they've gestated in gods it doesn't necessarily come up right? i don't think it's addressed at all now um, well, we, literally, but, we only ever see them erupt from parademons of our cockroach. I don't 
think any of the new Genesians ever had anything come out of them. Um, and but you know, Parademons should still show a, an amplage of power, and maybe that's one of the the, the no prizes, the conceits that allows them to, to come up with yeah. new gods so effectively. But usually, you see some sort of a physical manifestation that would indicate that. And I, I didn't really see that. I didn't see that these aliens had any attributes different from the you know the carbon copy, the the, the basic model. Yeah, yeah, and so so the, um, the the thing I thought was weakest about this book was um, like Superman going to Apocalypse as being like his well you won't be near a sun so you'll be losing your power it felt like a really sort of shit version of the really good gimmick from Superman Aliens and, and um, not only that but I, I don't think that's ever come up in any of the stories I've read and Superman no. visited Apocalypse a whole hell of a lot in the 90s as a for instance uh, obviously that happened in the 80s actually come to think of it he spent an extended period on Apocalypse Lips when he was uh, mentally enslaved by Darkseid during Legends. And again, I don't think that ever yeah. came up. You know, he's flying, he's lifting, he's punching. So it seems like it was created specifically for the story or like you said, just lifted directly from the, the previous volume. Yeah, exa yeah exactly. There's a little bit of... Um, you don't need everything to be continuity but there's, there's a little bit of suspension and disbelief around the series. I, I think art-wise, it, it, it's just phenomenal, you know? Um, again, sc scrolling through it on screen is just one amazing image after another. The, the Dave Stewart colours help. Um, I'd, I'd forgotten, <clears throat> since I read it the first time, I'd forgotten the um, Orion having having an alien in his, in his chest thing, um, and that would have been great. Maybe not with Orion, but that would have been good to see come to some kind of um, fruition but you know that's sort of killed off by Darkseid doing a bit of a Deus Ex Machina kind of thing and just taking the problem off the table. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a little weak storyline, but it, story wise, but it um. It, it bounces along at an amazing clip and looks fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the story, and some of this is just me fanboying, but it's just like, even Parademons, I, I I know there's the whole line of thought, particularly with Asgardians at Marvel, where they're just like super advanced aliens, where their technology is just so advanced that it appears to be magic when it isn't. And obviously, Kirby's New Gods in the Fourth World Saga is much more science fiction-y than Marvel's Norse mythology anyway, so you'd think that it would just be, you know, that, you know, amplified but for me I always like the new gods to be at just whether they're they're proper gods or they're just at an advanced evolutionary state they're so far beyond us that like there are some stories where they they say that they're actually physically larger than us and traveling to the boom tube like shrinks them so they can interact with our universe without destroying everything with a touch you know they're basically okay. they're intentionally inhibiting themselves so to have the aliens show up and impregnate these people even parademons I just it, the at the, the basic premise bothers me and I I just don't understand why you would even want to involve the new gods because it sort of overwhelms the story. It's still a Superman story, but it becomes so much about the new gods and what they're up to and they're getting chased around, all that kind of stuff. Or uh, uh, Orion's uh, got the uh, the egg in him. I, I just I don't buy in on the basic premise that the aliens would be just like I don't buy into Superman at full power interacting with the aliens would be anything to him because he's Superman and these people are all you know even if they're 75% Superman, that's still more than enough to take on aliens. You need to have uh, us little meat bags, you know, going up against the aliens for us to be so splattery. I just don't buy that that, the, that would happen with the new gods. I also think that there's just too much new god stuff in my, there's not enough alien stuff 
up in there. They're really just, uh, you know, a, a conflict for the new gods and their new god story with guest star Superman. Um, and also, I kind of want to see John Bogdanov draw the new gods and, and the Kevin Nolan element just sort of distracts me a little bit. I, I don't mm. think that they... Interesting. I, I do think... I, I think that Nolan has more respect for Bogdanov's line work. Like, he fully assimilates Dan Jurgens, where you can barely see any Dan Jurgens left. You never lose the Bogdanov. I don't think hardly on a single page of this book do you not see the Bogdanov. And I'm not sure yeah. that I feel so great about the combination of Bogdanov with Nolan. It, it, it feels like it kind of muddies the Bogdanov for me a little bit. So I, I can see it. Like, there's a lot of attractive images, but to some degree, I kind of just wish I was looking at Bogdanov uh, unmolested by Kevin Nolan. I, I, I think it's the situation where Nolan is, it still looks good, but it's just, I don't know, it just feels weird. It feels like two things that don't necessarily go that great together. Um, so, but, it, but at the same time, the pages look fantastic. So I can't say that there's anything wrong with them doing this. I just, for me, I kind of would rather see Nolan on his own or Bogdanov was on his own. I'm not as into them together. So, so when is, I'm going to put it, when is the Nolan treatment the right treatment? So well, over Jordan, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's just because Jurgens is a bit ropey. What do you think of Gil Kane? Um, I, I love Gil Kane on his own, but with the right inker, it, it becomes something really special, and his mingling with Kevin Nolan is gorgeous too, because I can absolutely still see that Nolan, I'm sorry, that Kane storytelling and that Kane anatomy, but obviously Kevin Nolan updates him. As much as I love Gil Kane, he's, his ultimate style is still very Bronze Age, very 70s, um, and so you need a Kevin Nolan to bring him into the 90s and the 2000s and so that's a great combination because it, you're you've still got Kilkane there but it's being elevated and modernized where I think with the problem I'm having with Bogdanov is I don't want modern Bogdanov the appeal to me is in the retro qualities of his style just like I, I don't know if Nolan's ever inked Steve Rude but I don't think I'd want to see that either because I like that purity of Steve Rude but on the other hand Kevin Nolan inking Jack Kirby which I think happened once or twice in like sketches or something I think that yeah. could work for me I think in part because I've seen Jack so much that I like it when there's a spin put on him. He's produced so much material that I want to see him tweaked in a way that makes it fresh for me. With Bogdanov, that retro quality, that's what I want. Give me that. And so for me, it's it's just not I don't want him to, to have that, that Nolan darkness, that Nolan because uh, um, it's not like ultimately Nolan is still a somewhat 80s style artist, 80s, 90s. Um, you know, he, he's always had that Nagel quality to his work that, that dates it somewhat. I think it actually one of the things yeah. that was nice about him inking so many different artists is that it gave them both a chance to kind of mingle their energies and do something that was new so they weren't stuck in their time period. Uh, like Dan Jurgens in the aughts just doesn't make sense to me. It like breaks my brain. That guy is so Bronze Age that like he needs yeah. he sort of times out at some point. He's like, why are you still drawing? You should stop. Because uh, And also I just find him terribly boring where Gil Kane was never boring. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that's the main problem was I, I like Bogdanov being retro. That's my favorite aspect of his work. And I, you know, and like I've seen him draw New God stories with other inkers and I just really like that Kirby-esque quality with the, the Bogdanov tweet to it more than I like him being assimilated by Kevin Nolan. Yeah, no, I, I I can see it on, on the Nolan Rude thing. There's um, is you know that no uh, um, 
what's his name now? Um, Gary Martin, book on inking. Um, <gasps> I love Gary Martin. Which has, so you got the Gary Martin, he did two books on inking. The first one is significantly better than the second. Mm. And then there's a third one, which is both books in one. Mm. But basically that book, if you wanted to show anybody what an inker can do, or for the better or for worse to an artist, then that book's amazing. It, so it's Gary, it's presented by Gary Martin. There's some stuff about inking by Gary Martin in terms of how to make it look a bit burnt Hogarthy versus Neil Adamsy. But then you have loads and loads of pages, which is like Scott Williams inking Steve Rook. And it's the same page. Mm -hmm. so it's the same page inked by Bolland, Rubenstein, um, uh, Steve Rude himself, Kevin Nolans. Um, I can't remember. The list just goes on and on of like top tier inkers um, inking Steve Rude, and then a page which explains their approach and why they do what they do and why they chose to make some things pop and some things fall back and that book's amazing and Kevin Nolan the first thing he says in his is first off I'd like to apologize because and he does he, he turns Sandra into a Kevin Nolan woman look might as well be like the Kara what any one of the multiple Kara straight ahead images from the from Superman aliens you know um so so yeah you you wouldn't want to see Kevin Nolan think Steve <laughs> Rude is the long long and short well and um, he actually says that like I don't I don't think you want to see this but this is what I did anyway is that his basic approach to the text yeah he says first off I'd like to apologize because uh, I've made it look like a Kevin Nolan drawing you know um, and, and that's interesting because you hear like Mignola said about the aliens book that he, he was disappointed because he wanted Kevin Nolan to go to town right. and make it look like a Kevin Nolan book um, and I think Dan Jurgens said the same to him um, which was described as Dan Jurgens being very generous um, I think that's wisdom <laughs> <Otherwise>. yeah, <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> that, that just that's just knowing which side your bread is buttered right um, so 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 yeah that, that book seek it out yeah. if, it's like a, a master class on and, and you could show it to anyone of like so inkers don't really exist anymore but here's what they could do mm. to even the best pencils yeah. um, and it, and you just get to see you know Brian Bolland inkings Steve Rude um, brilliant brilliant book yeah I've gotten a few things inked um, to varying degrees of success there are still some good inkers out there and they're largely you know unknowns at this point because there's not work for them anymore but the the skill set is still there it's just okay. you guys are mostly doing stuff like you know inking your con sketches now because they're not getting work from the majors for the most part anymore but yeah I've seen that book in the past I love Gary Martin I, I adore his embellishments on, on work but I never could give myself a rationale to buy a book on inking because even when I tried to convince myself that I could draw I knew that I couldn't ink and I would never be able to mm. ink I, I, I just didn't have, you know so I, it just never occurred to me that, that there might be something like that like that comparative uh, uh, quality where it's like oh yeah you know because I, I, I do love ink ears obviously I'm a huge I have a huge yeah. respect for that that skill set um, but it didn't occur to me like oh they're going to show me how this person inks versus how this person inks and you compare and contrast what you do it just didn't occur to me that would and be have them explain and it. that's the thing where me on a technical level I have no use for it but as a fan I would I could definitely find use for that yeah and uh, Terry Austin's in there as well so you get Austin Bolland and the Scott Williams stuff just looks amazing mm. and it's got the Scott Williams marks that you'd expect mm. um, like the little sort of hooky things um, that, that he does you know those little flicks um, but yeah it, it's 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 beautiful it's a really really good book and I, I want to say one thing too um, one area where I do think that Nolan ups the game is you have a number of pages where there's just multitude where there's a whole bunch of parademons uh, uh, there's mm. a whole bunch of eggs there's a whole bunch of cocoon pea figures and 
the textures that Nolan brings to that and that, that the mood that he brings to it, I don't think Bogdanov would have been able to accomplish on his own. So those are shots where I'm like, ooh, okay, this is where I see it. And then, of course, you, you brought up the, the vagina imagery, which I completely missed when I was reading through it. <laughs> and I don't know if that was Bogdanov or if that was Nolan. I, I, I think Bogdanov can be cheeky sometimes, but I don't know if he'd have taken it quite that far. And I don't know if he could have made it as clear what the intentions were as Nolan ultimately does. But when, when you've got Dark Side and Decide uh, entering into the egg chamber through a vagina, that's really on the nose. But when you're doing Superman Aliens 2, I think it's okay to be on the nose or on the something. Even, right? even, even down to like the giant, like as you look at it, it looks like, like giant akimbo legs as well. So it's not even just like a, a, a giant vagina image, including clitoris. Yeah. But there's also like walls going off to the left and the right, which look like splayed thighs. I mean, that, that image is just amazing. Like clearly whoever was editing the book at no point had it on a shelf on the other side of the room because if they'd looked at it from a bit of a distance then it wouldn't have been published. Well it's uh, edited by Philip Amara and Eddie Berganza. If it had been a Mike Carlin joint I think he'd have shut it down. It could be well <laughs> just as old fact you got two editors maybe they were able to game it where one thought the other one had it <laughs> you know they just sort of sneak <laughs> it, uh, snuck it past them I don't know but yeah I think Carlin yeah, probably would have caught that words. but these guys not so much. Yeah and just just a flag so New Worlds New Gods image after New Gods image the double page spread in issue two which is like a throwback to the that classic um, New God Forever People page where, with the with the ship that you've seen Alex Ross paint over and is like the iconic image of them coming through a portal on their on their on their ship I can't remember I think it's in New Gods 5 but there's a, a version they basically do a version of it with some massive Kirby machine surrounded by like 30 parademons coming through a portal and it just looks fantastic love it a bit short of two months passed before number four he arrived on december 11 2002 it left the top 100 landing at 105 96 in dollars it sold 21,638 copies shedding 6,300 readers over the course of its run only one other aliens comic would be released in 2002 solicitation copy reads while Orion Seeds, seeking vengeance on Darkseid for unleashing a Parademon slash alien horde on the new gods, Superman attempts to focus on their mission to find and incapacitate the alien queen at the heart of this horrific infestation. Brainpower, as much as physical battle, bested the ravenous creatures in Superman's first encounter, but will the combined skills of Superman and the gods of New Genesis be enough to overcome hundreds of Darkseid's apocalypse aliens hybrids? And what will be the final fate of Orion, victimized by an alien facehugger? Can even a new god withstand the shrieking birth of a chestburster? The first Superman vs. Aliens miniseries issues were the 120th, 163rd, and 185th best-selling comics of 1995, with number 3 outselling number 2. A trade paperback collection with a new cover and introduction by Chris Claremont was released on June 26, 1996. God War was not a top-selling title in 2002. A collected edition was was released on July 2, 2003. There was no new content in the edition. At $12.95, it sold 2,526 copies. The 26th best-selling TPB of that month in units, $39. In dollars. The trade collection of God War was the only new alien.
Aliens release for that month. Both Superman vs. Aliens miniseries were collected on August 3, 2016 in Dark Horse Comics DC Comics Superman. The collection also featured Superman Tarzan, Sons of the Jungle and the Superman Madman Hullabaloo. It sold 1,674 copies, ranking 59th in TPB units and 39th in dollars. Alexander Bertels, Anti-Life Equation, Cinema Inning Number 1, Artificial Twins, Between the Pages Blog, Billet Spy Vinyl, Billy Hines, Comics Enabler, who added, Deep Cut Blather About Aliens, Well Produced and Never Less Than Chock Full Opinions, Bones Go Snap Crackle Pop, CH, Canoes, Chris Dunford, Chris Lydon, Chris William, Poundfucker Fridays, wrote, Alien Comics Are the Best, Because I Finally Can See Lots and Lots of Images of Xenomorphs, Unlike in the Movie Where She's Always Partially Obscured, Why Do They Hide Her? She's So Cool, Dad 86 Get Some, Dark Gundam, Del Dracula, Derek WC of History of Comics on Film, Donk for Aliens Tribes Tumblr, Dirk Ashton, Ed Moore, Eric at Slave the Hive, Yeah Fuck Dixon, Glitter Queen, Helioscope, Hey Ho, Let's Go, Iowa's Joe Is, Julie Raul Rex, Keith G. Baker, Core, Lamar the Revenger, Lorenzo Sleestack, Martin Kessler, Maxo, Mentally Drunk, Miguel Quiroz, Mike at Send Aliens to Me, Mr. Dyke, Nick at Nicola RJ, Nightshade Zerna, No Pop, Nucky777, Once Upon a Geek, Pisogens, Pavel L, Richard Field, September Rains, Siskoid, Smiley's Blog, Speaker of the House Kirk Spencer, Superbound, Talk Nerdy to Me, Thirsty's New and Used, Tekinda, Tekinde, Tim Pervious, Ufta, and Yeti Eats a Lot's Doodles. This has been a Roald Spine Podcast. All audio samples are believed covered under fair use laws. No copyright infringement is intended. Coming in December, Dark Horse presents Predator Omnibus 2.